Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. This is Heidi St. John, and you guys have found me at my little corner of the internet. Today, I am thrilled to have my friend Seth Gruber back on the show. And we're going to end the year out because this will be the last podcast that I will record for 2022. You guys know that I'm about ready to kick 2022 to the curb. And my friend, uh, the founder and president of the White Rose Resistance, Seth Gruber, is here. And we're going to do just that. We're going to encourage you guys to stand up for life in 2023. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Well, thank you guys for joining me again. As always, I really appreciate it when you leave reviews for the show. You are helping us uh, climb up into the charts for a podcast. And for those of you who are watching on YouTube, we really appreciate that. I want to jump right into this topic today. We talk a lot about the sanctity of human life here at the Heidi St. John podcast. And Seth Gruber really is at the front of the movement to uh, to see the United States value human life again. Seth is the founder and president of the White Rose Resistance, and he's the host of the podcast Unaborted. Seth is also a nationally renowned human rights activist and sought after speaker, and he's fighting for a world where every person has the right to be born. And I'm just so happy he's here again to join me to talk about this important topic. Seth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Heidi. Thanks for having me back on. It's we're 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 our family's such big fans of you. We're so proud of uh, how you've laid it all on the line for so long. I, I I say about people like you sometimes, Heidi. I I wish I could sort of like draw out your intellectual, spiritual, and moral clarity and courage and inject inject it like a booster shot into the arms of American pastors. Uh, but I guess we learned that those don't really work. So maybe that wouldn't work after right, all. Right. No booster shots. We're not, we're not, we're definitely, we're definitely not doing that. Well, I'm thrilled to have you back here again. I'm a huge fan, obviously, of what you're doing, of you and your family. You guys have a brand new baby. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Very, very exciting. Excited. Very Number exciting. Three. I love it. I love it. So you have a passion, obviously, for the unborn, and we've experienced tremendous shift in the United States with the reversal of Roe v. Wade. A lot of people thought, oh, hey, we're going to reverse Roe v. Wade and then abortion will be illegal. That's not the case. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and really what it's done is what it should have been all along, which was just kick it back to the states. So now the states have the opportunity to decide to stand for life. Many of them are starting to do that. You and I have been involved in uh, church work for a long time. We're you know, trying to get God's people off the bench. Yep. And onto the battlefield, tell our listeners, because there's a lot of new people at the show now that maybe haven't heard you here before, a little bit about you and kind of where your passion for the unborn came from. Yeah. So I I always say, Heidi, that I've actually been a a pro-life activist since I was a fetus. Um, (laughs) And it's uh, it's actually very it's a very sciencey story. It's it's very follow the sciencey. Um, you see, I, I was, uh, the, I'm the son of a, uh, pregnancy resource center director. So, um, my mother, who's now with the Lord was the director of a pregnancy care clinic in Los Angeles County, uh, close to Azusa Pacific university in the late 1980s through like 1990, 1991, I was born in 91. And after my mom passed, we found this old box, Heidi, and, and, uh, we pulled it out and in it was the announcement letter newsletter from that living alternatives pregnancy center mm. announcing the departure of my mother as the ed why 
to welcome the birth of her son, Seth. So then I was homeschooled through eighth grade, went to public high school, did the walk for life every year. I was one of the top childhood fundraisers at the time. I was a little bit more incentivized by winning a, a bike or Disneyland tickets uh, back <laughs> back before they were encouraging mutilating children's genitalia, well, of course. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Dis- Disney's not the happiest place on earth anymore. Yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, and then I went to Whittier High School, Nixon's alma mater, did my senior project on abortion because I I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I struggle with pride, Heidi. I'm kind of a prideful guy. I always like having the spiciest arrangement of words <laughs> and answers for, for questions people have. And so I kind of took it as a personal offense and affront to myself as a senior in high school that I didn't have good answers to my pro-choice friends mm-hmm. beyond like, well, and knit together in your mother's womb, fearfully and wonderfully made. Amen. That's absolutely true. But what does that mean to an atheist? Right. Right. And so I, and so I wanted to follow the science right before, <laughs> before I wanted to ban that term from American political right, discourse. Right. We hope to never hear it. We have, yeah. If one more person says to me, why well, I believe in science, I'm like, great. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. I was in DC in January, Heidi, 2022 this year um, for the March for life. And the, uh, this woman, I'm, you know, I'm doing the, the trolling people on the sidewalk thing. And this, uh, this woman's like, where's your mask? And I was like, I was like, well, they don't do anything. And she's like, of course they do. Don't you believe in science? And I was like, wait, you're pro-choice. You believe that the baby is an insensate blob of non-person untermensch subhuman tissue through point of birth. Don't lecture me on science. Anyways, I'm getting carried away, Heidi. Um, I knew this was going to happen when you had me on. Uh, And so I I did my senior project on abortion. I wrote a research paper. I did volunteer hours at a pro-life organization that my mom had been on the board of when she was a pregnancy center director. And the first thing this organization had me do, Heidi, in Orange County, Christmas break of 2009, was to scan 200 images of first trimester mutilated aborted children. Oh, wow. So, Heidi, this is six, seven, eight, nine week old children. Um, This is a stage of development that I was told by the culture of death. I was reliably informed by the Fauci-like, Faustian bargain, demonic, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, high priest of Mm -hmm. humanism. Right, Uh, right. was not a human. It was not a baby. It's just it's tissue mass at this point. Um, And wow. I mean, the humanity, the detail of these little hands, noses, faces, ears, Heidi, at eight, Mm -hmm. nine, and 10 weeks. That was one of the turning points of my life, that Christmas mm. break of 2009, five months before I graduated high school. I went to Westmont College in Santa Barbara, a place that's more in, invested in creating advocates for the enemy under the veneer of Christianity. That which is, is what, so true. Which is yeah. what Bonhoeffer would call cheap grace. Yeah. Um, and don't get me started on Westmont. We'll do a whole episode on that another time because um, they actually hire pro-abortion professors. Um, so anyway, I learned that when I was there. You have already. So you you stepped into this. So I'm just going to let you I'm just going to let you well, wait in it for a second, because I've had a couple of people on the show who are graduates of Westmont. Yeah. When I was in school, in high school in the 80s, uh, that was one of the colleges I looked at. They used to have a very stellar reputation Yep. And I think, unfortunately, and this is really an important point for parents to note, and I'm, and obviously we're not going to camp Very out good. on this, but just because you send your kid to a, to a university that has the label Christian yeah. does not make it a Christian university and Westmont is just exhibit A. Carry on. Well, Heidi, uh, let me, uh, Westmont may be one of the most furthest left 
yeah. progressive colleges that still masquerades as a under, Christian under the under yeah. the diction of Christianity. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the worst actually in the country. Yeah. Uh, and Dr. Gail Beebe, and I always say him by name. By the way, Westmont's Instagram just blocked me the other day, Aww, um, so I can't. So yeah, that's was, uh, too yeah. bad. But Gail Beebe's still there. And while I was when I started the pro life club there as a freshman at 19 years old. In 2010, Heidi, it took me a full semester to find a faculty advisor to get the club approved by the student government. Then I found that that uh, faculty advisor. And then I found out that Westmont hires pro-abortion professors. Um, and for anyone that, that, that hey, listen, for just for anyone that, that has listened to people that have been Westmont alums, you've sent your children or grandchildren there. Here's some names. Omidi Ocheng, Deborah Dunn, Chris and Sherry Heckley, Mary Doctor. Um, only one of those has have left. The rest of them are all still there. They're all pro-abortion. And guess what? I have emailed debates to prove it. I'm going to put them in a book one day, Heidi. I've emailed I debates I had with these, with these demons. Um, and so in the Gail Beebe, who's the president there, I, I hold dead baby photo signs on campus of mutilated aborted children as a student to bring awareness to my college's complicity in abortion. And he asked for a meeting with me. He's all angry. He gets concerned phone calls from parents around the country because LifeSite News runs a story on it. Christianity Today runs a story on it. Um, and he gets all this negative PR and flack. So rather than dealing with the fact that he doesn't take a position on abortion and he hires pro-abortion professors, uh, he, he changes the rules. The college <laughs> changed the rules to make sure that no student could do a display like I did without wow. prior approval. So that's my background. So believe it or not, I, I got a spine. I learned to develop a spine at a Christian college, not a secular university. So you've been a wallflower for all of your life. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. That's that's really what that's really what you're saying. But honestly, it really is a tragedy that Christians that this isn't just the position de facto yep. for Christians uh, worldwide right. that we have to even be talking about this in the church. Someone I wrote an article years ago, as I think I told you, our daughter Sierra. We were told to abort her. Yep. Sierra, who just got married and is 29 years old, she was in an ultrasound, uh, showed that she was likely had Down syndrome and possibly a heart defect. And so at 16 weeks, we were wow. offered the opportunity to abort her at Emanuel Hospital in Portland, Oregon. And of course, wow. you know, we gave that a resounding, you know what, <laughs> and said, no, this is our daughter. Yep. Like we would never kill her for the sake of convenience or that her life yep. might be made better. But unfortunately, in the church, it is not uncommon to hear Christians say, oh, it doesn't matter. You know, it's the choice of a woman. Mm. What do you say, Seth, to, to Christians who are legitimately, uh, you know, been brought up in a culture of death? And there are legitimate good yeah. people. They're wonderful Christians who do not understand why this issue is so important. Yeah. What do you say to a pro-choice Christian? Yeah, well, well, there's no such thing as a pro-choice Christian, right? Just like there's no such thing as a progressive Christian. Now, mm. now, now, let me soften that statement by just saying I, I do believe that if you have been living a pagan, you know, humanistic lifestyle for years, and you come to the Lord, and there's a process of discipleship as you throw off the old man or woman, uh, that, that there's a period of discipleship. There's a period of 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 being made more perfect in His image, um, where you siphon off old worldviews and ways of thinking to to right to be 
renewed in, mm-hmm. in your mind. So I think, I think that there could be a period where someone could be saved and still hold very evil and mistaken views on abortion. But mm-hmm. you cannot continue in that way. You cannot yeah. continue to attempt to marry the belief that your savior entered human history in a uterus to redeem mankind from their sins, while at the same time sanctioning, voting for, and funding the slaughter of children in the same location that your savior entered human history in to save you. You cannot continue to marry those two worldviews. So uh, unfortunately, so uh, some of your listeners might not like me because I, I hate the word winsome. Um, in how it's been, in how it's been re, re, uh, defined by the Tim Kellers and Russell Moores and Ed Stetzers, uh, and Rick Warrens to basically just mean cowardice mm-hmm. and niceness at all costs, no courage, no truth. Um, and so I'm not very winsome anymore, quote, uh, Heidi, with, with progressive or pro-choice Christians. Um, because to be a pro-choice Christian is actually to commit a Christological heresy. Um, what do I mean by that, Heidi? Well, this is what I told people at Westmont. This is what I told those old professors and students there who were like, I'm pro-choice and I'm a Christian, Seth. Um, let's see. We just celebrated Advent, guys, the celebration of the God-man becoming the prenatal deity. And you've got, you've got Mary and Elizabeth visiting one another, and you've got the prenatal John the Baptist doing backflips in the womb. While he recognizes the humanity and divinity of his savior in Mary's womb. Mm-hmm. But because God is fully, because Jesus is fully human and fully God, not at the moment of birth, Heidi, but at the moment of conception, then that means that the prenatal unborn fetal Christ is knitting John the Baptist together in the womb as he is the second member of the Trinity in Mary's womb, which means that Jesus is knitting himself together in the womb. Uh, of a woman whose uterus he once knit together when he knit together Mary in the womb of Mary's mother. (laughs) I mean, this is the incarnation. Could you think of a more beautiful truth? God could have chosen to enter human history in any way, shape or form, Heidi. He could have come as a 30 year old grown man. He chooses to identify with us at our most vulnerable stage the prenatal stage. So to vote for politicians who slaughter and lynch children in the womb, to support it, to champion, or to defend it, is to maintain that Christ was at some point fully God, but not fully human. If that's not a Christological heresy, I don't know what is. So if Christ is fully human, at the moment of conception, then every child is as well. Now, of course, that doesn't mean anything again to the atheist, but we need to give no quarter, no room for this type of heretical, let's call it demonic thinking um, in the church. Uh, Because, and I'll finish with this last thought, Heidi, I actually believe that our tolerance of abortion um, has has, has rotted our moral, political, and spiritual conscience and courage. I believe that abortion is kind of that litmus test of the republic. It's a litmus test of the church. What are we willing to tolerate in our country and in our churches? And so for all those Christians and leaders and pastors and authors who say, oh, I would have been a Bonhoeffer. I would have been a Schindler. I would have been a Hans and Sophie Scholl. I would have been a Frederick Douglass. I would have been a Harriet Tubman. The answer is to whether you would have been like those men and women is the degree to which you engage this issue today, because Mm -hmm. they're all wrong for the same reasons. In each circumstance, the victim was denied personhood and then dehumanized through euphemisms to make their destruction, elimination, and slaughter more socially acceptable in the public square. 
and that's really where we are. I mean, that is absolutely where we are right now. We accept these things because we've been taught to accept them. We've softened the language on abortion instead of talking about the barbaric practice. thought it was so interesting on The View. Of course, I don't watch The View, but every once in a while, uh, <laughs> you know, does? somebody will write, somebody will send me a, a clip or whatever. And uh, Anne Hathaway, I'm sure you saw this, was on The View. I did. And she just, and it was disgusting that she said that yeah. abortion was a mercy. And I'm like, merciful, merci- yeah. merciful to who? Like, That's right, merciful who, to who? What is your definition now of mercy? Because abortion is brutal. It is yeah. barbaric. It is, uh, it's disgusting. That's and right. for us to say, well, this is choice and it's merciful. Uh, it, and, and for the church not to be yelling and screaming about this shows the cognitive dissidence between what's happening in our churches and what is being taught in the culture. That's right. Yeah. Um, one, one, uh, uh, British author, psychiatrist, and uh, prison psychiatrist. And I'm, for, I'm forgetting the pen name he writes under just now. But he wrote a great book called The Worldview of the Underclass. Um, and he had a brilliant analysis of what you're sort of talking about, Heidi. And I think this is actually really important because language has always been one of the linchpins in the culture wars. And the high priests of humanism have always understood this, that if you control the words, you control minds, you control the republic, you control the public square, um, because language shapes the way we think. Yep. And it colors the way that we see the world. Um, there's this fascinating exchange between um, Alice and Humpty Dumpty, um, Heidi and Alice in Wonderland, and Humpty Dumpty uh, says to Alice, when I use a word, it means exactly what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. Mm. And Alice says, the question is whether you can make words mean so many different things. That's all. <laughs> and Humpty Dumpty says, the question is which is to be master. Mm. That's all. So presumably, Heidi, what Humpty Dumpty means is, are we to control language or is language to control us? Because you see, we believe as people who live in reality, Heidi, (laughs) um, as objectivists, whatever you want to call us, um, we believe that language is objective. Because what? guess what? When I say man, I know this is a doozy in, in, our, in the 21st century. I actually don't mean woman. Oh, no. Are you sure? You I sound know. a little backward to me. A, a little bit bigger. Someone might yeah. need to educate you. I'm pretty yeah. sure that makes you a fascist. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll be the first to sign up for Bernie Sanders re-education camp. But um, <laughs> so, so words are pointers, right? Because words actually refer to something in the real world. Mm-hmm. So what happens when Every word has been redefined. Every book has been rewritten. What happens when that when the the high priests of secular progressivism who were more committed to advancing their ideology in the public square than the church was for theirs? What happens when they begin to shape the public square, the public consciousness, the words we use, the very fabric of reality itself? Mm. It causes chaos. And that was always the point. And so I want to I want to tell you what this one thinker said, because I think it's a perfect bridge into the chaos that humanist progressives have been um, ha- wrecking in the culture wars for over 200 years um, that really culminated in the early 1900s with some of these communist revolutionaries like Margaret 
Sanger. Yep. And so, um, a eugenicist. Oh yeah. And a, a racist and the founder of Planned Parenthood. Yep, that's right. And so this this author says in, in the worldview of the underclass and some other writings, he says political correctness is actually communist propaganda writ small. Yep. Um, and it's very interesting. He says, in my study of communist societies, I came to the conclusion that the purpose of communist propaganda was not to persuade or convince, not to inform, but to humiliate. And therefore, the less it corresponded to reality, the better. When people are forced to remain silent, when they're being told the most obvious lies, or even worse, when they're forced to repeat those lies themselves, mm -hmm. they lose once and for all their sense of probity, their, their, their sense of integrity, their own sense of self. To assent to obvious lies in some small way makes one evil oneself. One's ability to stand against anything is thus eroded and even destroyed. A society of emasculated liars is easy to control. And then he says, I think if you examine political correctness, it has the same effect and it's intended to. Mm. So it's a fascinating observation yeah. about how political correctness is really the same thing as communist propaganda. Yeah. It's, the, it's the distortion and manipulation of language. And the longer you go along to get along, Christian, the longer you put up with those lies that are masquerading under the camouflage of compassion and science, the sooner you will wake up and find that you are of no good in the public square anymore because you don't even have any respect for yourself anymore. You have been playing party to the lie for so long as well, which is why C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters, Heidi, mm -hmm. has one of the most powerful lines in the entire book that I've been trying to trumpet to churches to say, wake up before you don't know how to wake up. Wake up before you're not able to wake up. And in, in perfectly explaining the strategy of the enemy of our souls, Heidi, uh, Screwtape tells his junior demon, Wormwood, he says, as the humans have said, active habits, active habits are strengthened by repetition, mm. but passive ones are weakened. The longer he, who's he, Heidi? The Christian. The longer he feels, feels without acting, the less he will be able ever to act. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel at all. So what is C.S. Lewis telling us? The longer that you feel broken about the world around you, the longer that you see the lies in front of you, the longer that you hear abortion is merciful and compassionate and that communism is, is good for the people and religion is the opiate of the people and getting quadruple jabbed is what you should do if you love your neighbor. And if you're a Christian, you should shut down your church like Rick Warren. The longer you hear the lies and you play party to them and you assent to them, the sooner you will wake up and find that you are no longer any good. Because you have forgotten and failed to learn how to stand. You've been on the bench for so long, your butt is super glued to it now. And you can't even follow Heidi's advice to get off the bench. You have not learned how. You have taught yourself apathy. You've taught yourself complacency. And so you will become the very thing you practice being. 
And so this is what C.S. Lewis would end up calling men without chests. We laugh at honor in our midst and our, we, la- we, we laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. Mm-hmm. We castrate, but then we bid the geldings go be fruitful. So the left has been participating in this, Heidi, for over 200 years. They've been doing everything they can to silence, castrate, and silence the voice of the only institution they could have bought, brought this genocidal demonic assault against the image of God to a grinding halt in the first place, yeah. the blood-bought bride of Christ. And it's time for us to get off the bench, get our boots on the ground, and start exercising morality, exercising righteousness, and exercising repentance if we want to give God a reason to show this country mercy. So I got on a little bit of a soapbox there, Heidi, but I think it's important because whatever time we have left together, I want to share a couple things about how these high priests of humanism were more dogmatic in their religion. They were more exercising and faithful to their religion than we as Christians were to ours. And that is why we are here now. Yeah, yeah. And it's and and really, I mean, the, the clock is ticking. And I've been saying this for years and years. You know, we're not here for no reason. God has us here for this time in human history. It's an amazing time to be a Christian, to be able to find your feet. And I Amen. believe I know as you do that when faith finds its feet in this generation, I believe that mm. is when we will begin That's to right. see first the cry of repentance. That's right. And then the prayer for revival. Is the book that you're talking about called Life at the Bottom, the worldview yes. that makes the underclass? Yes. So I just want to let uh, uh, listeners know, because while you were talking, I looked it up really quickly. Life at the Bottom, the worldview that makes the underclass written by Theodore Dalrymple. Dalrymple. Yeah, Theodore Dalrymple. Yes. It's so, his pen name. Uh, yeah, amazing. Uh, yep. And and really, your, your point about the language is well taken. This is why you see the left hijacking pronouns. People say, well, why does it matter? It absolutely matters because if oh. your pronouns don't matter— all of a sudden, male and female doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that yep. they, because they gaslight you, right? They say mm-hmm. uh, men can become women, and then you say, "No, no, that's not true." And then they say, "You're you're a racist. You're you're backward. You're upside down." And you see a whole generation of young people now believing because they've heard these lies for so long. It's why I keep telling parents: pull your children out of these indoctrination camps. That's Education right. is the front line for the hostile takeover of the nation. And That's when right. they hijack the language, you hijack the culture. That's and the right. church, frankly, has been complicit in this, right? Because we have soft-stepped the issue of abortion. We've soft-stepped homosexuality. We we soft-stepped uh, gay marriage. I know a lot of Christians who were, uh, you know, jumping up and down, not the least of which is President Trump, who claims to be a Christian, who That's just right. had a celebration for the so-called Respect for Marriage Act at Mar-a-Lago. And these people are celebrating wickedness. That's right. And and the church has a, an obligation to speak into the void, and yet we haven't done it for That's a right. very long time. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying this interview with my friend, Seth Gruber. As you can tell, he is passionate about life. Tomorrow, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the White Rose Resistance and share the story of Hans and Sophie Scholl is a life-changing story. It's both heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time. And you can understand uh, why this movement to uh, to bring to the surface and to the front of our conversations a culture of life. Thank you guys so much for listening, and I'll see you back here for part two of my interview with Seth Gruber here at the intersection of faith and culture.